0: Scripture reading today comes from the New Testament book of Romans, so if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're reading together verses 18 through 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. Several Sundays ago, we started a new series of studies on a Sunday morning entitled Encountering the Power of the Holy Spirit. And today, we're coming to Romans chapter 8, and we're focusing on what does it mean to rest in the Holy Spirit. So we're coming to this middle section of what is one of the best-known passages in all of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, at verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes these words. that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are adopted as sons, are seeking the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen. There's no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that cannot be expressed. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Over the last few weeks, most of us, of course, have been impacted by the coronavirus. And around the first few weeks in April... My wife was saying to me fairly regularly, remember when you're out and about, wear a mask. So I would go into the supermarket or I'd be on errands and I'd forget. And she'd be saying to me that night, did you wear your mask? And I would say, I forgot. And then she would emphasize again, Richard, you have to wear your mask. And so Ruth was getting on to me day by day by day. And eventually I thought, well, it's time to be responsible. It's time to be proactive. It's time to wear a mask. And so I dutifully started wearing a mask. Now, I put a picture up there to give you a sense of what was happening. And that was not quite the mask she meant. And of course, when I went home and revealed the photograph, I got for my initiative A smack and told behave and wear a proper mask. And so I was glad to do just that. Now, of course, in the midst of beginning to reopen up the country and some of our restrictions are being relaxed a little, we're hearing from Centre for Disease Control and state officials. Please remember social distancing. Please remember to be proactive. Wear a mask. And so that's helpful and good advice for each of us. Back in 2015, Disney released a movie called Tomorrowland. I have to confess, I really liked it. It was never immensely popular but I liked many of the themes and the focus of the movie and I found it to be engaging and enjoyable, family friendly. It was a great adventure. George Clooney was, uh, one of the main characters, various others whom you'll know. And the story was about a young family living in Florida. Casey Newton, 16 years old, she was the heroine. She had a younger brother who was probably 11 or 12. From memory, and I may be wrong in this, but I think mom had passed away about a year or 18 months before the movie started. Dad was a NASA engineer. He just lost his job. And so it focused on this little family going through a tough time. And one morning as Casey's getting ready for school with her brother, they step up from the kitchen table and dad is sitting there and he hasn't touched his breakfast. And it's pretty obvious to Casey and her young brother that dad is feeling down a little. And Casey looks over at dad and says, you have been telling me this story all my life and now I want to tell it to you. There were two wolves. And the camera jumps to Dad. And Dad kind of slouches and rolls his eyes. And Casey continues, There were two wolves. They were constantly at war with each other. One of them was darkness and despair. The other was light and hope. Which one of them? won?" And Dad looks at Casey and sighs and his shoulders go down and he says come on Casey and Casey looks at her dad and says well if you don't want to answer that's up to you and she lifts an apple off the kitchen worktop and throws it to dad he catches it and she turns and is leaving the kitchen with her young brother and dad says the one you feed what a lesson in the middle of a movie darkness and despair hope, and light. Which one of them wins? The one you feed. As we come to this passage this morning, I will be asking that question again and again of us. In the midst of a global pandemic, a national state of emergency, businesses are closing down, people are losing their job by the millions Schools, colleges, non-essential businesses closed. We're beginning to see a little light at the end of the tunnel. Some of the restrictions being removed. Medical professionals are telling us, remember, social distancing, wear a mask, as I mentioned earlier. But in those quiet moments, those unguarded moments when there is no one else around, mentally, In your imagination, in those deep recesses of your heart, which are you feeding? Darkness, despair, light, and hope. And this morning as we come to Romans chapter 8, we come to, as most of you know, one of the great passages of all of Scripture. In fact, we touched on Romans chapter 8 several weeks ago when we began this new series of studies. And on that first Sunday morning together, we were focused on what does it mean to consistently, day by day, feed and cultivate a relationship with God the Holy Spirit. What are the practical steps we take in order to do exactly that? And so this morning, we're returning to this middle section of Romans chapter 8. To focus on what do we do when we are waiting. When our lives are put on hold. When we are unsure if colleges and schools will be open later in the year. Whether we are unsure about jobs being there when we return from furlough. What will the next five, six weeks bring, the next two, three months? And Romans chapter 8 speaks into such a situation. I said several weeks ago when we first began and looked at this passage that Romans chapter 8, New Testament scholars tell us that Romans 8 is a little like a plateau, metaphorically speaking. If you enjoy hiking, hill walking, mountain climbing, you will know that when you're climbing, when you move towards a plateau, you have your eye fixed on it. And when you get there, it's often a place of rest. And when you're planning your trek that day, you're focusing on the plateau. You can't wait to get there. Because you know that once you get there, it will probably be after two or three hours of hiking, and then it will be lunchtime. And it's a place where you can sit down. It's a place to take a deep breath. It's a place where you can relax and rest, lift out your lunch, something to drink. And you can sit there and have lunch, talk with your friends, look back down the trail you have just come, and you can rest in preparation for what's still to come. That's a plateau. And that's exactly what happens in Romans 8. It is halfway through what many scholars tell us is Paul's greatest epistle. He is at his most profound Theologically, biblically, foundationally, in the Christian faith, in the book of Romans. And so as you climb to Romans 8, there are so many rich things in this section. And he begins by writing on a cosmic basis. He is looking forward to the culmination of all of history and the climax of God's eternal decrees. And he writes in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glories that will be revealed in us. The creation itself, Paul writes, waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, for God to enter into history once again and bring about a new heaven and a new earth. The climax of the created order. And he goes on and says, for the creation itself was subject to frustration. In other words, the sin of humanity doesn't only affect us as individuals, it affects our environment. It affects the world we live in. And Paul goes on to say, creation itself groans in frustration, longing that it might, as we will be, brought to fruition at the end of all time when a new heaven and a new earth is recreated. And so that's where Paul is focusing in these early words. But as the passage develops, we come to verse 23 and he talks about not only the creation being renewed, but we ourselves. And he writes, who have the first fruits of the indwelling power and resource of the Holy Spirit. We also groan inwardly looking forward to that day as we are adopted as his sons and daughters. And then he goes on. Verse 24. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? And then he adds, but if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. And having described in cosmic proportions the culmination of God's purpose and plans, he focuses on what it means to wait for that day and the hope we have for what is to come. Now I think for most of us, Over these last seven, eight weeks or so, we know what it means to wait. Children are waiting on school reopening. Some of us have been waiting for graduation. Others are of us waiting for restrictions to be lifted. And it's not simply a theory of waiting. We've felt it. We've been frustrated by it. Those of us who have been looking for a new job at the turn of the year in January and February were praying and asking, Father, what does the future have in store for me in terms of my career? You're sensing that you've outgrown the job you're in and you have that strange sense of God working in your life, preparing you for what's coming next. And you have been faithful and prayerful. You've applied for jobs. You've been interviewed. You've gone through the first round and the second round. And eventually, you were among the finalists, being offered a position. And then suddenly, you received a call saying, due to the coronavirus, we are putting a staffing freeze in place. And you're stuck. You've already told your current employer. You've handed in your notice. You're now thinking of moving to a new city, a new home. But all of your plans are frozen. You don't know what is next. You can't take any action. You are waiting. And what of those of us who had planned to be married during March and April? I have to tell you that was an unpleasant experience for me to sit down with brides and their families and say, remember you were having a wedding two weeks on Saturday and now we have to postpone it to the fall. And you had to contact 378 guests and tell them it's no longer happening. We're thinking about the fall. We'll let you know. And you and your potential husband or wife so looking forward to being married. Still looking forward to moving into a new home together All of your future was in front of you And now it's on hold Those of you looking forward to graduation High school, college And now all of the celebrations May not happen Others going into a final year of studies Postgraduate Not sure when you'll, educational institutions will open You're put on hold Others have been frustrated because you can't visit grandparents and parents who are in care facilities. I've had to conduct funerals. When you've had to contact family members and say, please don't come, the service at the graveside is limited to ten people. And can you imagine the pent-up grief, not being able to say final farewells to those you love? Life on hold. And here is the Apostle Paul Focusing on what it means to wait. Most of us don't like waiting. We live in an instant stopwatch kind of world. Earlier this week I needed to know what is the date of Easter next year. I simply Googled it and up it came. I wanted to know in emailing a colleague in Cairo what was the weather in Cairo. I Googled it instantly, up it came. But when there aren't instantaneous, obvious, immediate answers, what do we do? How do we respond? When we face significant challenges, contract to sell our home did not come through. Our whole family is on hold. How do we respond? Well, allow me please to probe a little deeper. And in those quiet, unseen moments I mentioned earlier, when there is no one around, are you feeding your fear? Are you feeding your faith? And right here in Romans chapter 8, Dealing with these issues of waiting and uncertainty. Dealing with a sense of fear, being cautious. How do we respond? What do we do? The Scriptures tell us again and again, Be still and know that I am God. Wait patiently for the Lord. You'll find it again and again throughout the Psalms. And for some of us, waiting patiently means this. That we find a comfortable chair, we take that chair, we kind of sit down, convince ourselves, okay, I'm sitting patiently. Now, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you not answering? I'm waiting. Sometimes we're tempted to work hard at waiting sometimes we're tempted to work hard at resting In actual fact, what we're doing is standing still and thinking, if only I could show some measure of creativity. If only I could show some initiative. If only I could do this or phone that person or help with this or be involved. And we're working hard at resting. We're E-type personalities. Our engine is revving and we're going nowhere. Being still is at times awfully hard. In the midst of this coronavirus, it almost feels as if God has sent the entire world to our bedrooms to think about our lifestyle choices, what we do, how we interact with others. Then Paul takes it a step further. And this is one of the glorious sections of this entire epistle. And not only does he talk about waiting for God Patiently, he then says, verse 26, "In the same way, the spirit of God helps us in our weakness." We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That is a remarkable passage of scripture. It is infinitely greater and richer than we can imagine. Remember what it's telling us. Focus on the detail. What he's saying is this. When you find yourself in a situation that is frustrating you, you have no sense of what the future holds. He is saying, be still. You can trust Me In the middle of all of this, I've got it. Stop running hard while trying to stand still. Stop revving that mental energy. Stop taking the initiative. Stop being creative. Just be still. Because when you are still, he often speaks amidst the silence. Be still. And notice what else he's saying. Because God, the Holy Spirit, is interceding on your behalf. God himself is interceding in your behalf. And as you're waiting, he's shaping you and fashioning you. And he's speaking into those deep areas of the heart and soul and mind. And he is bringing you into line with the purposes and plans of God. That's what's going on here. That's why it says he intercedes in accordance with God's will. Now, when we are waiting patiently, we think nothing is happening. I mentioned this last Sunday morning towards the end, and I wanted to mention it again to emphasize it one more time. Because when we are waiting, disappointment, grief, and pain is changing us. The pain sculpts us into someone who understands more deeply, appreciates more quickly, cries more easily, hopes more desperately, and loves more openly. When God calls us to wait, to be patient, to persevere, To be still. Those are not wasted moments. But moments when he can begin to speak. To fashion us. To change us. And as you go into a new week. That is how you feed your faith. And starve your fears. May that be your experience this week as you come back again and again and spend time in this passage of Scripture as you immerse yourself in the wonder of it and may you have that wonderful sense of the presence of God the Holy Spirit enabling you to rest in Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, As we draw our time to a close this morning, we ask that you would indeed work in our lives and grant to us your refining presence, shape and fashion us. Grant to us your indwelling power that we might live for you. Help us to have that sense that you've got us and you are holding us fast amidst our fears and uncertainties. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.